Isaiah. Isaiah, there we go. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For a child will be born for us, and a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast, and his prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Luke 2, 1 through 7. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which was called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David, five to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Luke 1, 46 through 55, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble conditions of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the mighty one has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. Appreciate that. We're in the Advent season, season of Advent, which is a season of anticipation for Christ's coming. And as they waited all those years for their Messiah to show up to come to, to free the nation, we too wait now for Christ's second coming uh, when he will fulfill all the promises and uh, restore this earth for God's glory. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we dive into his, his word. Lord Jesus, we come to you today. As our Savior and Lord, as the one who brings us peace, the one who has offered peace to this world because of the work and the sacrifice that you have made, uh, we, we want to spend the next few weeks remembering, remembering what that means uh, for the first followers of Jesus as well as for us today. Uh, Lord, you've, you've opened up just such a wonderful gift to us, and we, we think about gifts this Christmas season, and we get excited about gifts, but Lord, I pray that we would be excited about the gift that you have given to us. Lord, I pray that we would be so excited to, to share that, that love and that joy with others around us. I pray, Lord, that this would be a, 
a season of proclaiming your name and preaching your truth and inviting people into your kingdom. And we come in Jesus' name. Amen. How are y'all doing today? Mark's talking about it being dark and being down. Are we doing okay? Do we need to have a little counseling session to lift our spirits? We'll, we'll do that through the Word. We're going to talk about peace today. Actually, it's very appropriate, those, those, those thoughts, those ideas that, you know, we do get down in, during a winter season, but uh, and we, we let anxiety and, and trouble sort of start to creep in in our minds if we're not careful and we forget the promises that Christ has given to us and the joy that he's, he's uh, allowed us to step into, and uh, we need peace. We need peace. Last week, we talked about Jesus as the trusted messenger of peace, and we did some fun things. We looked at some fun stats and figures about Jesus and the prophecies that he, that he fulfilled uh, from the Old Testament and, and uh, the, the promises as the Messiah and what that was all about and the, the improbability of it all. I mean, it was just so improbable that one man would be able to step on the scene and, and, and accomplish, fulfill everything that had been written about the Messiah. And, and we, we, I threw out the figure, it was like the, the chances of one man doing this was 10 to the 17th power. So 10 with 17 zeros behind that. And that's, that's the chance, that's the probability of, of, of the Messiah actually fulfilling what was written about him uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, and uh, and how Jesus, we, we come to the conclusion, Jesus is this trusted messenger. And we looked at um, the, the fulfillment of, of his titles of prophet, priest, and king, and what that meant for uh, that world and what that means for us today. It's great, it's great to have someone that we can trust in, but if we don't go beyond the words or that proof, then we're actually living as if we don't believe. Right? It's great to have someone come up here and say some things, and, 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 and uh, uh, you know, it's great to have Jesus tell us all this, the, the, these, the, the truth about love and his kingdom and, and what God's doing, but if we don't actually grab onto that, we're not living as if we actually believe that he is the trusted messenger. And so we do need to live in the peace, pursue the peace that Christ has to offer. Peace is our theme for Advent this year. So as a church, we're, we're looking at peace, and we're talking over the next four weeks about peace. And, and the biblical meaning of peace, it of course means to, to have that calmness, that serenity, that that's what we think about when we think of peace. But it also means peace comes from being whole. There's a, there's a meaning of peace where it means to be whole. And this is what Christ offers us, a way to be fully human to be fully human and do what God created us to do. And we talked last week about peace comes not by the absence of something. Oftentimes we think that, oh, if I just get rid of something in my life, right? There's a, there's a relationship that's bad, and if I can just get rid of that, then I'm going to feel great. Or, man, you know what? If I can just move out of this job and maybe get something new, that would make me feel great. That would give me the peace that I need if I can move somewhere else. Move somewhere else. I can get out of this location, get to a new location. It's sort of, sometimes we, we frame it as, I will be at peace when I get rid of something. When I get rid of something. And I think that's the way the world looks at it. If I can get rid of something, then I'll be at peace. But peace actually comes not by the absence of something, but by the filling of something. Specifically, someone. Someone and what he has offered. And last week, we looked at Jesus as the trusted messenger. 
And he gives us some powerful promises that are going to totally redefine who we are as people. And this is what he offers us. He offers us. He's going to give us purpose that will fill us up, that will fill us up. And again, going back to that definition of looking at peace, not as the absence, but as the fullness of something, we need someone to fill us up so that we can experience peace. Jesus is going to give us that purpose to fill us up. Um, So over the past couple weeks, um, I'm part of a group, you guys know we do a little foster care every once in a while, and so we work with foster kids and, and families and, and families who are adopting, and we've had kids in our house and hosted kids in need in our house, uh, but we're also, Sarah and I also um, are taking part in teaching fostering classes for new parents who are wanting to join the foster system, and they have to go through educational classes, human development, all this kind of stuff, dealing with kids who have struggled, and so we're part of this group that's, that's teaching uh, some of these classes for new foster families, and it's great. It's great. The foster families come in all wide-eyed, bright-eyed, and this, oh, this is going to be fantastic. And then we start to go through the material, and it's like, oh, this is, this is going to be hard, isn't it? It's going to be hard. But this week, because we're, we're ramping up to, to get into uh, teaching uh, with some brand new classes in the, in the um, beginning of the year, if anybody's interested in being a foster family or, you know, come see me, we'll, we'll get you set up here. Uh, anyway, thinking about that, I've been thinking about what it means to be an adopted child, because that's sometimes what happens. We've had kids come into our house, and their, their family of origin, or maybe they lost their parents, but it wasn't safe. They didn't have a place to go back to their family of origin, so they had to move along to an adoptive home. And I've been thinking as I'm looking at these classes, also reflecting back on some of the kids who've come into our house and then have been adopted. We keep in contact with a couple of these, these families, and we sort of become aunt and uncle to them and cousins to them. So we're getting photographs now of all these cute little kids that we fostered, and, and they're in their dressed-up Christmas programs and pageants, and it's fantastic. It's fantastic. And so I've been thinking a lot about what it means to be an adopted child, what it means to be an adopted child. Legally, they're getting a brand-new family. Legally, they're getting a brand-new position in life. They're taking on a new position in life and the benefits that come with that. What's interesting about being an adopted child is you would think that, you would think that oh, okay, this, this kid who's really struggling, who's really in need, they're, they're getting into this family that, that has shown that they want to love and care and protect them and take care of them. You would think that, man, day one, man, this is fantastic, this smooth sailing uh, from, from here on out. But that is not what happens in a situation. Just because we are adopted into family doesn't mean that the, the trials stop for us because we have all this history behind who we are and, and maybe what's been done to us. And so I've been, I've been looking at what does it mean and the joy, the joy we, we sat just a couple months ago in the, in the courtroom with a family who was adopting a couple of kiddos we had had uh, this past year, and it was such a celebration. The judge is celebrating, the family's celebrating. It was such a time of joy. Pictures are being taken all over the place. Families gathered, friends are gathered, and we got to experience that, and it's going to be such a, a great thing, but what it does is sometimes it changes, and this is what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about It changes our position. Being adopted into a family changes a child's position. 
But sometimes we have to work through our condition. And so I want to talk about our position and our condition. What's interesting with an adoptive child who has who struggled and who has had abuse or neglect or, or all these awful things that can happen to, to kiddos, um, they still struggle they still struggle. And what's interesting, as, we're, as I'm looking at these courses that we're, we're teaching these new foster families, where there's, uh, there's some research that's happening with the brain. What's so interesting about the brain is that in, in a small child, you, you often think that it just gets set and it's in concrete and, and it's never going to change, but it is so pliable. It is so pliable, the brain is. And so as you feed in love and care and consistency and routine and protection to a child who's suffered and their brain has wired itself to say, oh, I am always in survival mode. I'm always looking out for my survival. I'm always looking. I'm never, I never am sure of what's going to happen. Am I going to be safe? Am I going to be fed? This is what is wired into a child's brain who has is, who is suffered all right? And, and they need a rewiring of their brain with consistent love, care, connection, and protection to rewire that brain so that now their brain responds to, oh my goodness, yeah, it's mealtime. Ha, I don't have to worry. And there's actually a change that happens physically in the connections, synapses, and all that kind of stuff with the brain. And it's amazing. It's actually amazing to witness a child who comes to you in one situation is broken, so broken in their state, and then as they, they develop and grow and they start to move and move and move and to see that, that progress. And maybe teachers have seen this as well with kids who have come into your classroom as well. But we need to rewire. We need to, as the Bible says, renew our minds. See, Paul's writing this stuff, and he doesn't even know about all the brain science and all that kind of stuff, but, but we need to renew our minds. Renew our minds. And so we're going to talk about what it means to look at our position as an adopted child in God's family, our position, but also some of the conditional stuff that we struggle with. And what does that mean? An adoptive family is, is telling a child, I will be your protector. I will look out for you. Jesus says this, Jesus says this in John 16, verse 33, and he's talking to disciples. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to be betrayed by Judas. He says this in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. There's our theme. This is, this is the theme. That you may have, this is what we want. We want to have peace. I have told you these things so that in me, again, going back to Christ, in me, he says, you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous, Jesus says. I have conquered the world. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace, something that we all want. Uh, but he, he says, I know, I know this world is hard. I know this world is difficult. But be courageous. Another translation may say, be brave. I have conquered the world. And other translations may say, I have defeated the world. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are united in Christ. This is our position. What does that mean? What does that mean? There's a lot of questions about what that means. What happens to us when we come to Christ? 
a lot of questions like, oh, what do, we, are, do we become these little, little Christs that are walking around? Yes, yes and no, <laughs> because we are not the Savior of the world, the Messiah, but yes, we are here as his body to represent his kingdom and to act on his behalf, and act on the king's behalf. Some think, people think that we reach like this, this godlike status, right? Some people have questions. Well, what does it actually mean? Am I actually secure? Is this something I have to keep doing to like find my unity in Christ? Do I have to keep doing that and doing it and doing this? This is where we mix up our condition, what we're experiencing with our position. We'll talk about that. Is it just a metaphor? Is it just a story? Is it just a story we tell? Some symbolism that really has no meaning. Does it just make us feel good? These are sort of the questions that people have. Well, when you talk about being united in Christ, what is this thing? mean? Jesus says, I've told you these things so that in me, in me, this is a positional statement, in me, you may have peace. Our peace comes because we've been filled with what Christ has brought to the table. Jesus has given us a new position, but he also tells us to be mindful of our condition. This is what the New Testament, the, the, the letters in the New Testament are about, that reminding us about our position in Christ, but also telling us, well, this is how we live now that we have a new position in Christ. Position is how God sees us, who we are in Christ, who we are in Christ. Our condition is what we do in this life, and maybe even what happens to us in this life, what other people do to us in this life. So there's a difference between our position and our condition. Our position is a gift of grace through faith. Our condition flows from our works because of that position. Our position is God's work for us. We're receiving God's work. Our condition is God hopefully working through us. We're letting God work through us. Our position is perfect in Christ because of what Christ has done. Our condition is still imperfect. We're still working through this world, right? Anybody struggle with sin still? And you, you've, you've accepted Christ as your Savior. You're trying to follow Jesus. We're trying to follow Jesus, but you know what? Man, we slip up. Anybody fall in that category? This is where our position is perfect, but our condition, we're still growing. And, and Paul, uh, a couple weeks ago, Paul Starring talked about sanctification. Talked about sanctification. Our position is finished. Jesus says it is finished. He says, I'm conquering the world. All right, you're in me. You're going to have peace. We know there's suffering. There, there's conditional stuff, but I have conquered the world. This is now where you stand. It is finished. Our condition, as we talk about sanctification, is not fully complete until glory, until Christ comes back again and re- makes all things new. Our position in Christ is unchangeable. We can't lose that. We can't lose that. Our condition can be changeable depending on what we want to do any given day. Today, I really want to hear the Spirit's voice, and ah, tomorrow, I just want to do my own thing. A couple of different results that'll happen there. Our position is the same for all believers, but our condition is different. It depends on where we are in our journey with, with Jesus and how we're growing and developing and, and maturing in Him. And sometimes we mix these things up. Sometimes we mix these things up. Sometimes we, 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 we look at our position and, and we think, well, shoot, I should have nothing wrong in life, right? And when something goes wrong, it's a good way, it's a good way to burst our bubble, 
right? And, and, and sometimes we look at our condition and we put it in the place of our position and say, oh, I, I keep on messing up. God must not love me. I must not be good enough. And we start to mix these things up a little bit. In John 13, Jesus is at the table. We, we, most of us know this story where he's going to wash the disciples' feet. And he says this, he says this, he says, what I'm doing, you don't... What I'm doing, you don't realize now, but afterwards you will understand. Uh, and, and Peter's going to say, hey, you're never going to wash my feet. Uh, Peter's the, the famous one who's sitting at the table, and Jesus is going around, and he's washing all the disciples' feet. And Peter says, no, no, you don't have to wash my feet. No, 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 don't do that. I, I'm basically trying to take a false position of humility with Jesus. You know, Jesus, you're the teacher, you know, but Peter doesn't offer to wash the people's feet, does he? No, no. And uh, Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And then Simon says, and again, look at this positional language and conditional stuff. Simon says to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands, my head. He wants to be like, bathe me, bathe me, you know, fill me, pour this water over me. And Jesus says, one who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. Because, but he is completely clean. Uh, you are not clean, or excuse me, you are clean, but not all of you. See, Jesus is going through this, this foot washing exercise, stepping to the table and doing this, and he says, I'm going to wash your feet, which is a, a cultural thing during that day, and um, Peter responds that, hey, no, okay, great, uh, then wash all of me, wash all, I want to be totally clean, and Jesus responds that, no, you are clean, we just need to get the dust off, and there's a little bit of positional stuff, hey, you've, you've, you're, you're in this, you're with me, you're with me, but things happen, and we just need to wash the, the dust off, right? In First John, John writes later, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But sometimes we need a little bit of washing just under feet to get the dust off because we stepped in it, right? And we drag it around with us on the bottom of our shoe. Anybody have pets, dogs? Mm. We got a chicken coop. I hate going to the chicken coop. <laughs> Talk about ruining pairs of shoes, right? Right? Go into the chicken coop and then go and walk through the house and family yells at you, right? Sometimes we just need a little washing, but our position in Christ does not change because what Christ has done for us, he has cleansed us, he has forgiven our sins, he's given us a new position in God's family. If you want a little exercise on, on looking at position versus our condition and what that means, go to the book of Ephesians. Go to the book of Ephesians. The first three chapters in Ephesians are going to talk about Paul talking about our position secured in Christ, who we are. And sometimes we, we stop at that and we just want to sit in that and, and, and not work on, oh, then I shouldn't have to work on the conditional stuff, right? Nothing should go wrong in my life. But the last half of the book is all about our condition. This is who you are and now this is who we, how we live, because of that, this is what we strive to do. And so we get verses like this, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He chose us, chose us, positional language. He made known to us the mystery of his will. He's led us in to this mystery now because we've accepted Christ according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ. Again, through Christ, we've been made aware of God's plan, what he's working at, the salvation of the world. 
Right? In him also, I have also received, we've received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. We received an inheritance. God has invited us in. He has brought us in. Ephesians 2, 6, he has also raised us up with him. That's a positional statement. You know, Christ was raised. Guess what? We are raised with him and seated. He seated us with him in the heavens, in Christ Jesus, that's a positional statement. We are, it's as we are seated in the throne room with Christ. Ephesians 2.19, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, secure in this position. God has you securely in his hands if you've accepted Christ as you say. As you say. You see all the positional language in that, but we can't stop there because guess what? Our position our position, our place is in this new adopted family, right? But what? We still live here. I still have to walk around in this world, and I have to work with people, right? And I, I have to get along with and work with my family, and I, I've got to provide, I've got to do all these things, and this is an imperfect world, which can mess it up sometimes, a lot of times, a lot of times. And so this is where, again, Ephesians go through. Maybe, maybe this is the exercise for this week. Maybe this is the challenge for this week. Look at Ephesians. It's only a couple chapters, six chapters, right? Not long. And, and, and look at the, the position that Christ has given us. But then also look at, okay, how does this play out in my life? And so the conditional part of Ephesians is, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, this is Paul, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling, that you have received, right? You've been called. God has accepted you into family. Now we've got to walk that way. Paul's saying we have a choice here. We have a choice here. Speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Grow. What does that mean? Grow, change, adapt, move, develop, mature, all that kind of stuff. Let us grow in every way. And use the Ephesians 4, uh, the renewing in your spirit and your minds, put on a new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity and truth. These are the things that we need to focus on. Ephesians 5, therefore be imitators of God as dearly loved children. This means, this is, this is following language. This is what Christ has done for you. Now you're seated with him. Now let's follow and live this out. This is the message of Ephesians and a lot of the other New Testament scriptures as well. And this is a wonderful truth. God has given us a wonderful truth. I mean, the, the truth is, in, in Christ, God the Father saw all of our sins. As Christ is hanging on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins. In Christ, God saw all of our sins. It's as if he was looking at us on the cross and the sins and what was being dealt with. In us now, after Christ's resurrection, in us, God the Father sees all Christ's righteousness. He sees as if Christ is standing before us. And when God looks at us, it's like he's looking at his son, Christ, who has taken care of the penalty of our sin, and we have received a new position in him. I have told you these things so that in me you may have what? Peace. 
You may have peace. Uh, you will have suffering in this world. Uh, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. Christ's victory over sin and death gives us our position within God's family. If there's one thing to really get this morning, to be reminded of, Christ did the work that we couldn't do so that we could have what we didn't deserve. Christ did the work that we could not do so that we could have what we didn't deserve in our own efforts, in our own striving. Our, and then our efforts, our, our walk, our lives, it flow out of a response to Christ's work and not as determining our position. This is where we start to get confused. And on a bad day, on a bad day when things are going wrong and we're struggling, we often get this confused that, oh, I messed up, I screwed up, therefore I must be out. I must be out. When I think of adoptive families and the, the being sitting in the courtroom and watching these families adopt children, one of the things that the judge does is they, they tell the parents, they tell the parents, okay, parent, you're, you're agreeing. This is forever. This is permanent. They are your heir. They are following you. We're not changing our mind. You don't come back three months, six months, a year later and say, oh, judge, I just, I want to let this thing, I'm going to let this child find a new home. No, it's emphasized. This is permanent and secure. This child with all their baggage, their past, their struggles, the love they have, all, all of it, their, their, their whole being is now in the position of being part of your family and under you. And this is what God has done for us through Christ. And Christ says, I understand that there's going to be some rewiring that has to happen in your brains because there's a lot of past stuff that you're dealing with, the sins of this world, your own sins, temptations, the, the attacks of the enemy, right? All that stuff that's been baggage that you've dragged around for all your life. We need to do a little rewiring of your mind, rewiring of your thought process of who you are now, but I have conquered the world. And your position is one where you're standing next to Christ who has conquered the world. His victory allows us to have victory. It doesn't come from us. It comes because of what Christ has done for us. Greek for conquering the world is, means to basically have a military defeat, right? To defeat, be in military battle, win a victory uh, in a military conflict. So how has Christ overcome the world for us? How has Christ overcome the world for us? Well, he's overcome the world and helped us, given us a path to overcome internal struggles like anxiety or worry. And I know during the Christmas season, oftentimes we, we say this is a celebration, a time of joy, but oftentimes this can become a time of worry for individuals or families. And John writes this, Jesus says, peace I leave with you. Again, here's peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. How does the world give? It's, well, it's all conditional. It's all conditional, right? We don't have to live with anxious hearts because we can experience the peace that Christ offers. 
This is why we talk about bringing all of our situation, our cares to Him through prayer, depending on Him to meet our needs. Paul says, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Why? Why is that even open for us? Because our Father is a loving Father. If Paul thought we were worshiping a a, a vengeful God who was distant, who didn't really care, and was like, oh, okay, well, you made the decision, great, sometime in the future, it's going to work out for you, but you know what, I really don't want to be a part of this right now, because you're still messed up in this world. If, if, we, if Paul was tell, talking to us about that kind of God, he would say, you're in, but be careful, right? I mean, that would kind of be the message he would give us. You're, you're in, but be really careful. Don't upset him, right? And, and, and you really don't want to approach him, all right, and so you, you've got your, your, your position, but, but, you know, hey, you don't know what he's going to do if you, you bring a question to him, a problem. Is he going to get annoyed by that? That's not, that's not the God that Paul says what we worship. Don't worry about anything, but in everything. When it talks about everything, it means everything, our whole lives. Through prayer, petition, this is the way we go to God, right? This is, uh, this is how we go to God. Through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Because we are in a loving God's family. And as we do this, as we do this, we start to renew our minds and rewire our minds to, to better fit our position, hopefully. To be more consistent with our Position and the peace of God, which surpasses all understandings, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Not only do we serve a loving God, but He's there and He says, You know what? I take this seriously and I'm going to be the, your protector. I'm going to be guard, of guard for you. So during this holiday season, what worry must we give to God? Is there a worry that we need to lay at God's feet to bring in petition to God? Not only has he, he looked at our internal struggles, but God also is aware of our external struggles. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. All right? Remember in, in John, we just saw in, in uh, John 16 where he says, hey, in this world you will have troubles. You will, there will be suffering. Okay? This is one of the things that can happen. If you were, if you were of the world... The world would love you as its own. Why? Because we love people who are just like us. Right? Right? Makes us feel comfortable. Comfortable. However, because you are not of this world, again, there's our positional piece. We're not of this world anymore. I have chosen you out of it. Because of that, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you, a servant is not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, if they hated me, they will also persecute you. This is a tension. This is a tension. We are not physically removed from this world, right? We still get to live here. As a follower of Jesus, we've been tasked to go back to our original calling of taking care of what God has provided. The original calling from the garden to live as kingdom people, but we are still here in this world that is countercultural to Jesus' kingdom. And when we start to share that we come from this great nation, God's kingdom, it's going to ruffle some feathers, right? Anybody here? So we're, we're in the World Cup, right? Anybody watching the World Cup soccer? 
couple people, okay? So this is a world event. All these countries are getting together and competing on the, the soccer pitch, right? So I don't think it's a field, it's a pitch, uh, right? And, and, and what are we doing? We're rooting for our country because we're the greatest in the world, right? Right? And, and someone else, someone else is going to come. And, and so we played, the USA played the Netherlands yesterday, right? And so the USA, we're like, man, we're the greatest. And the Netherlands came in and said, actually, you're not. At soccer, you're not. <laughs> right? Anybody see that game? Oh, I was torn. I'm torn because I'm Dutch. So <laughs> I was torn, but I, at least I got a team to move on. Anyway, but that's, that's sort of what happened. That's, you know, someone comes out and says, hey, man, we're fantastic. This, look at what we're, who we are, what we have to offer. And, and other places, if you're not part of that group or that country, you get a little whew, pause on your chest. Like, wait, you're not the greatest, are you? All right. But this, you know, when we start talking about how great God's kingdom is, the world, if it doesn't want to hear, is naturally going to have a little pause. No, 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 no. Get a little of that poke in our chest. Jesus says we're going to be hated. It's because we're at odds with the rest of the world, and that's not a, that's not comfortable. It's not comfortable. Sometimes, when we get into that space of feeling like we're going against the grain. Sometimes it feels like we're even separated from what God is doing. God, where are you in this? Where are you in this? Paul writes this, though, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution, the hatred of the world or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, is there anything that can separate us from the love of Christ? And he goes on to answer his question two verses later, no, no. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Why are we conquerors? Because Christ first conquered. Again, this goes back to position. We can live a life that's holy, following Christ because he has given us a new place. And are there things during this holiday season, things or people that you need to lift up to God because you're struggling with them? Because you're struggling with them. A lot of times it goes because we're going against the grain of the world. Because we're representing a place that is not the kingdom of this world. It's God's kingdom. The other thing he has conquered for us, we've got internal things, you've got external things. The things that try to draw us away from God. Jesus conquered this. Sin and death. Ephesians 2 says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. This was a positional statement. This is where you were. In which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the rulers of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. A few verses later, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love, again, (laughs) who's initiating this, his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ, gave us a new place. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Jesus put to rest the hold of the evil powers of this world that they could have on us. And we can cast off their temptations when we put on the tools that God has given us, like the armor of God, right? When we put on the armor, we can start to cast off those temptations in those things that want to separate us 
from God. So during this holiday season, what are some of the things that consistently pull you away from God's best for our lives? They want to pull us away. They want to trap us. They want to ensnare us. What are those things that consistently do that? Do we have a plan to put them away? Putting on the armor of God. Because Christ has conquered this world for us. He has opened up the door for us to overcome the world because of what he has done. The position that he has offered us is to sit with him as he is at the right hand of God, the Father, and he gives us the tools that we need to reflect and live out that position. Followers of Jesus, we got to keep remembering our eternal home is with God and his kingdom, right? Things of this world are going to pass away. Can't hold on to them too dearly. We're going to live forever in God's presence. And if we haven't landed on that decision to follow Jesus, know this, the door has swung wide open for everyone who would believe in Christ as their Savior. Today is the day to grab hold of those promises. Today is the day to grab onto what Christ has offered us. Today is the day to be reminded again, oh, that's right, you know, I am, I am a loved child of God. And what I struggle with does not define me. I'm growing past that. I'm maturing past that because of Christ's help. But I am a secure child of God. It's one final scriptural promise that God has made for those who accept his gift of salvation. John, again, is writing this. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. And does that not sound like peace? Right? And what is happening here? God is coming to live with his people. Again, when we talk about peace, it's not just about just the absence, getting rid of something. There is something to be get rid of in the scripture, but it's more about the filling. Why is this going to happen? Because God is going to be here with his people, living with his people, filling this world with his glory forever. And next week, now that we've looked at our position, who we are because of Christ, where we sit because of Christ, next week we're going to look at what it means to live out our lives following our victorious Lord and Savior following our victorious Lord and Savior. Again, it's one thing to hear the truth. It's another thing to unite ourselves to that truth. And it's another thing to actually go and live out that truth. He says, Paul reminds us, we're created, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For what? Not just to sit around, right? Not just to bide our time, right? We are created for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And we're going to dive into that a little bit more next week. Lord Jesus, we come to you. Again, we come during this season of anticipation. We thank you. We come with great thanks for what you have provided for us, how you have seated us next to you in in the throne room of God. You've given us a a position as sons and daughters of, of of heirs of God's kingdom. 
We thank you for that, Lord, and we look forward to the day when you come back and you fulfill all of your promises and you renew everything for your glory. We come in Jesus' name, amen. Let's close the service with some worship together. Just uh, as Nick was talking, I was thinking of these verses from Isaiah 9. There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of what? Peace.